If you're visiting today or joining us for the first time online, um, I'd like to just kind of take a moment and say that uh, Gary and Janice uh, and what you just heard about their faithfulness and their walk with the Lord and their influence on others is something that the rest of us can uh, ascribe to be like. Um, so if, you, if you're walking in and thinking, wow, that was emotional and I don't know these people, um, here's what I would say to you. I would say, uh, talk to somebody who does and then uh, as Gary and Janice move on to what God has for them next, Others of us in our church family will need to step into places of service and step up. Uh, no one or two individual are going to be able to fulfill all the things that Gary and Janice have done here. And um, while we will miss them, we are thankful for more opportunities uh, to continue to serve the Lord and continue to see what he's going to do here and also continue to hear about what he's going to do with the next place that they are in North Carolina. Um, so you can be praying for us as a church family, um, as others need to step into roles uh, for leading Little Lamb and leading our uh, TGP Kids program. And uh, we will greatly miss Gary on our elder board um, and just as a friend uh, for both of them as well. So uh, we're thankful that the Lord has had them here for the last 21 years. And uh, we pray that, they that he would continue to bless them as they go. We're going to look into Nehemiah. So you can turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to cover the first four verses today. You uh, Maybe you have a scripture journal with you that you've gotten in past weeks, or maybe you grabbed one on your way in today. Uh, you are more than welcome to take one of these and keep it. Uh, if you're visiting or if you're uh, just joining us, we would love for you to be able to keep your notes there, walk through this time with us. As we walk through God's Word, uh, the hope is that we continue to be in God's Word daily. And that as we are in God's word daily, he continues to reveal things to us and show us things. And then we get to gather together and kind of walk those things through together. So we're going to do the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 1 today. And we're picking up last, where we left off last week. Nehemiah has come out of a time where he has been repenting for himself and his own personal sins and the sins of his family. He's also spent some time repenting to the Lord for the sins of the people corporately. And after he was done kind of working that process through as he's repenting to the Lord, he then walked into a time of remembrance. And he is reminding himself, all those that are listening to him, and even maybe trying to remind the Lord of the Lord's promises to his people. And how those promises for Nehemiah were the bedrock of what Nehemiah was, was banking on for this next phase of his life. That God would always fulfill what God has promised to do. And what God has promised to do for his people is to be their rock and their fortress. And in this particular moment, Nehemiah was exposed to the fact that the people of God were a little bit in shambles. And the city of God, Jerusalem, where those people gathered regularly to worship and adore him, that place was in shambles. The walls were falling down. The gates had been burned. And it was a mess. And it was not honoring to the Lord. So in that moment, Nehemiah, he's not seeking earthly fame and recognition for himself or for God's people. He's seeking the glory of God. He's living for something bigger than himself. And as he reminds himself and all the hearers at the end, through chapter 1 and as we get to the end of chapter 1, he steps out and the last part of chapter 1 says this. Now I was cupbearer to the king. And as we talked about, this cupbearer position is a very influential position. It's a very risky position. 
And what Nehemiah was going to do next was essentially going to put his own life on the line for what he believed God told him to do. This is a massive risk that Nehemiah enters into in chapter 2. So as we come out of chapter 1 and we walk into chapter 2, let's read those verses together. I'm going to start at the end of chapter 1, verse 11, and read down the first four chapters, or first four verses of chapter 2. It says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. We're going to look into God's word and see what Nehemiah is kind of walking through at this particular point when he does actually move from repentance and remembrance and then the risk involved in him making his request to the king. Before we get all the way into that, I want to start with this particular phrase. Faith and patience go together for the people of God. Faith and patience go together for the people of God. And and I think sometimes we can see those two as opposites or things that work against each other where faith seems like I have faith, I should move, I should act. And patience feels like that's when I step back and I sit down. But the interesting thing about God's people, and Nehemiah gives us this example here, is faith and patience work together for the people of God. How do we know that? This first couple words in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, in the month of Nisan. And if you look back to chapter 1, verse 1, he starts his letter here, his recording of history, by saying, now it happened in the month of Chislev. And the time between the month of Chislev and the month of Nisan in the ancient calendar is four months. So sometimes I think it's easy to read God's word and just think, well, we got done with chapter 1, chapter 2, starting up next. But what we have to remember is Nehemiah called us to pray. And when Nehemiah saw the need for God's people and for God's glory to be restored in this world, he stopped, he waited, he fasted, and he prayed. And not just overnight, for four months. For four months, Nehemiah waited to say what he needed to say. That's a tough one. Anybody else struggle like holding on to what they know needs to be said next? A couple of you are honest, okay. You get in these moments, Nehemiah's in this super emotional moment. He has his brother and others come back to him and say, Jerusalem is in shambles. God's people are scattered. They're not even worshiping the Lord the right way. The influence of other countries around them and the pagan worship has kind of crept in. And it is a wreck, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah knows something needs to happen. But one of the first lessons we need to understand is faith and patience are part of God's plan in our life. We can believe him while we wait. We can believe him while we are looking for the opportunity that he brings into our lives 
to do the next thing. Not just what we can think of to do next, but what he has for us to truly do next. Because in waiting and believing in that faith piece in the midst of patience, we're going to see what works together for God's people. When faith and patience come into play in the life of the believer, then when things happen, we know it's God's hand doing it. We know it's him that has moved. We know it's him that is providing whatever comes next. We know it's him that is taking care of his promises and we don't get confused about it being under our own power because we're able to sit and fast and pray and when that moment arrives, we know it because we have communed with the Lord and therefore our hearts are on the same page. As Nehemiah digs in here, four months later, think about this, he has been praying fasting. He's passionate enough about this, this need for Jerusalem to be restored and God's reputation to be seen in the world as it should be. He's passionate enough about this to change his life, to change his prayer patterns, to change his eating habits, to change everything around him. He's passionate. He's that passionate. This is not, the patience is not a lack of passion. He's passionate. And at the same time, he's patient. Nehemiah goes in, in these four months later, in verse 1, it says, In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. See, this is Nehemiah's job. This is Nehemiah's sole job in life. He is the cupbearer to the king. He is the one that makes sure the king doesn't die when he drinks. He's the one that makes sure that nobody has poisoned anything that goes before the king to consume. He's got a high-powered job, one that I'm sure comes with anxiety every day. And as he goes before the king, he says, the wine is taken up, I give it to the king. What does this tell us about Nehemiah's life and his commitment? First, Nehemiah was patient. We've talked about this in verse 1 here, this four-month gap between him changing his life to seek what the Lord has to, for him to do next and him actually having an opportunity to act on it. Four months. When's the last time we as the people of God have stopped and prayed for something specific for four months? Stopped and, and not started doing something, just waited on the Lord. Occasionally, as the people of God, you get to be around people that, that have this pattern in their lives. They're spiritually mature people. They're people of prayer the people of faith in the Lord. And when you watch them, and I know in my life, when I get to watch people who have done this much longer than I have, I watch this kind of gentle patience. And I've learned to not mistake that for apathy. <laughs> because waiting on the Lord is not a lack of drive or passion or desire. It's none of those things. It's recognizing this. The Lord has a better plan than I do. And he's got a better way to get that plan done than I do after I hear about his plan. Because I get confused sometimes about both of those. And maybe you're like me. Sometimes I think I got a better plan than the Lord. And he usually finds a way to hem me in and remind me my plan is better. And then when I do hear a plan that is the Lord's plan, then I usually have a good way to get God's plan done. So thank you, Lord, for letting me know that. Here's how we're going to get there, right? And too often in our lives, we move ahead of God and what he has for us. 
Instead of waiting and saying, okay, Lord, that's the plan. Tell me how you'd like me to do it. Show me the next move. He's not going to show you all 27 steps. He might show you the first three. Like he does with Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't know when he was going to get an opportunity to talk to the king. When he was going to get to make this ask of the king. But he was getting prepared. So first, I'm going to give you three things that Nehemiah shows us in this, these four verses. First, he's patient. And while he's patient, we find Nehemiah doing his job. Nehemiah was doing his job. He says, when the wine was before the king, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Why is that sentence included in scripture? Because Nehemiah didn't stop working because he wanted to do something for the Lord. He stayed at it. He stayed at the place where God had put him for that time period. Nehemiah wanted to go. He wanted to get off to Jerusalem. He wanted to do the next thing. But what did he do in the meantime? He stuck right where God told him to be for that time, and he did exactly what God had already told him to do. And he kept doing that thing until God gave him the opportunity to do the next thing. This kind of faithfulness and consistency should be an earmark of the people of God. Too often I talk to Christians, and when I talk with them, they think, I know what God wants me to do next. I'm just going to kind of pull out of everything. That's not what God tells you to do. This is a phrase I remember hearing when I was younger, and, and I, I heard it from my grandfather, and he probably heard it from somebody else, but I asked him one time, how do you know what the next thing is, or how do you move on to what God has for you next? And he used to say this to me all the time. He says, Rob, when you get somewhere, you work every day like you're going to be there the rest of your life. Until God picks you up and moves you, and as soon as you get to the next spot, you work every day there like you're going to be there the rest of your life. And that's what we see Nehemiah doing here. Nehemiah knew what needed to happen for God's people, and Nehemiah knew that he was probably called to be part of it, but he didn't all of a sudden stop doing all his daily responsibilities. He showed consistency and character and faithfulness in where God had him right then, and I'm convinced that's why God uses him next, because he was faithful right where God had put him then. He's doing his job, checking the food, checking the wine, bringing it to the king, tasting it beforehand. This is his job, and he's doing it. While he's doing his job, God provides him with the opportunity. Verse, the end of verse 1, Now I had not been sad in his patience, in his presence. So as Nehemiah is being patient, he's before the king every single day, multiple times a day. you got to remember, no, nothing goes in front of the king, food or drink-wise, without Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is in front of the king a lot. But something changes this time. Verse 2. The king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. See, for the cupbearer to the king, the only way that the cupbearer wasn't allowed or wasn't expected to be in the presence of the king whenever the king was eating or drinking was if the cupbearer was sick. Because you want to get the king sick. So since the, the king knows you're not sick because you're here. If you were sick, you wouldn't be here. So you're not sick, you are here, but there's something on your face that's telling me you're sad. And this, in the ancient world, especially in front of the king, was a negative thing. Having a grim, depressed, sad look on your face in front of the king could get you killed. 
Because the king would assume you're unhappy to be in my presence. So Nehemiah, after all these years serving the king, and after these 40 days of prayerfully considering what to do next, some of what Nehemiah has been working through personally starts to show on his face. And the king says, why are you sad? And literally the translation here is kind of funny. Every once in a while you get a good sense of humor from the Lord. If you translate the original directly into English, the, the phrase is actually, why is your face so bad? That's, that's the, the direct quote here, okay? So why is your face so bad? So uh, I think if somebody said that to me, I'd probably think, uh, that's what this is all God gave me. This is what I got, right? Like, uh, but Nehemiah, he's here. There's, there's this, this countenance shift for him. He's always been cheerful, encouraging, thankful to be in presence of the king. He enjoys, he's had to enjoy his job. And even when he didn't enjoy his job, he's not supposed to let anybody know he doesn't enjoy his job. There's a difference here that the king notices. And the king says, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. And what is Nehemiah's response? This is, this is how we know that this is great risk for Nehemiah. He says, then I was very much afraid. I'm afraid. In this moment, I've shown sadness before the king. The king doesn't have to ask me anything. The king could just send me out of his presence and I'd never be heard from again. But because Nehemiah had spent so much time with the Lord around this specific topic and calling that God had given him, Nehemiah, our second point today, was prepared. Was he afraid? Sure. There's fear involved. Preparation doesn't always take away fear. But it does allow us to act in a way that we are prepared to follow the Lord in, even when we are fearful. He's got fear. And he says, I was very much afraid. And this is a strong phrase for Nehemiah. It's not just, I was scared to talk. It was, I'm afraid for my life. In this moment, I'm afraid for my life. But what does he do? Does he say, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, king. I'll, I'll put a smile on. I'm good. We're good. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Didn't mean it. Okay. You, you misread it. I'm not sad. I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. Let's just keep going. Here's your, here's your drink. Here's your meal. No. Nehemiah's been waiting for four months for the Lord to give him an opportunity to say what he needs to say. And he's been waiting and waiting and praying and fasting and patiently expecting that when the Lord gives him the right opportunity, he would know it. And this is it. King says, you look sad. What's going on? He's scared to death to say what he's going to say next. He's literally scared to death. Verse 3, he is prepared to respond. He said, I said to the king, let the king live forever. <laughs> right? This is Nehemiah like, ah, don't kill me. Okay. Like, let the king live forever, please. Okay. I'm here. I'm your cupbearer. We're good, right? We're okay. We're good. Okay. Was your question rhetorical or do you really want me to respond now? It's kind of, I think that's what Nehemiah is kind of feeling out here, right? He says, let the king live forever. And maybe the king says, ah, yes. Nehemiah's like, okay, here we go. King doesn't kill me, I'm in. He 
He says, let the king live forever. Why should, my face, should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then Nehemiah holds his breath. What's going to happen? This could have been seen as disloyalty to the king. This could have been seen as Nehemiah cares about somewhere else more than he cares about being here in the king's presence. Nehemiah cares about some other place more than he cares about the king and the king's palace and the king's kingdom, which he's supposed to be serving. This could have been seen as disloyal. And the consequences would have been very dire for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah, after saying, God save the king, goes in and says, how could I not be sad? The place where my fathers have lived and died and have been buried is in shambles. It's in ruins. The gates are destroyed. How could I not be sad? And then he holds his breath waiting for the king's response. Nehemiah has shown patience in waiting for the Lord. Nehemiah has showed preparation, knowing that eventually God was going to give him the chance to say what he needed to say. Patience leads to opportunity. Okay? If you're writing down, write that down. Patience leads to opportunity. And the best thing about being patient with the Lord and listening and waiting for him is that opportunity comes in God's timing. Patience leads to opportunity in God's timing. What Nehemiah said here was risky, but his message was clear and he was direct because he had spent time with the Lord and been prepared to answer when asked. See, this goes forward into our lives. How does this affect us? Not many of us are going to stand before the king giving him his glass of wine and his meal, right? And holding this kind of a position. So how does this actually connect to us in everyday life? See, Nehemiah's request to the king was a huge one for God's people. It was a huge one for the future of the Israelite people, for, for the future of God's glory. This is a big request. But here's what we need to understand in our own lives. If we don't spend time with the Lord, if we are not patiently preparing ourselves to respond when God gives us opportunities, we will miss the chances to do very important things. And I don't mean influence a king. I mean influence someone to understand their king. See, we will miss the chance to talk about Jesus if we have not prepared ourselves to be ready to respond when God brings the opportunity in front of us. Anybody ever missed one of those? You walk away and think, man, I should have said something there. Now thank the Lord that he works in more ways than just us. So those chances are not lost on him. He will work his plan in people's lives. But for us, I don't want to miss those chances. Nehemiah didn't wake up this morning saying, this is the day. I'm going to, go, I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to tell the king what's going on. No, Nehemiah prepared to do his job, to show up and be consistently faithful where God had put him, 
and he had spent time praying, fasting, and listening to the Lord. Then when the opportunity came up, he's like, this is it. I've been asking the Lord for it. I've been preparing my heart for it. I've known what God would like me to say when this opportunity arises, and I'm ready, and he does it. See, this is where we should be as the people of God. We should be prayerfully praying for opportunities to talk about Jesus. We should be thinking about what it looks like to respond when the opportunities arise and when they're there. So we're not caught off guard. Nehemiah wasn't caught off guard, even though he didn't know ahead of time this was going to happen. He wasn't caught off guard because he'd been waiting for four months for this to happen. We should be waking up every day asking the Lord, give me an opportunity today. Give me an opportunity today. We should be pausing in the middle of our day at lunch and saying, Lord, give me an opportunity this afternoon. Please show me an opportunity. And if we are consistently asking the Lord for the opportunity to do what we know he's called us to do, when the opportunity arises, he'll let us move. Like Nehemiah. He was patient. He was prepared. Nehemiah's personal fear did not stop him from doing what God had made clear. He was patient, he was prepared, and he was scared to death. But he did it. There's fear involved when we talk to people about what we believe. I get that. There's fear involved. You can get rejected. I mean, you're not going to get rejected like Nehemiah could. I mean, he, was, he could have got his head chopped off. But you could get rejected, and that affects us, right? Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to be ridiculed. Nobody wants to be turned away. I understand all those things. But in the midst of our fear, we cannot stop doing what God has told us very clearly to do. Very clearly. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It doesn't get a whole lot clearer than that, folks. That's our marching orders. That's it. If we know with clarity what God has told each and every one of us to do, we should spend every day preparing to do what he's called us for. And when the opportunities arise, we'll be ready. Patient, prepared, and prayerful. Let's look at verse four. The king says to him, what are you requesting? And you can hear Nehemiah. I'm reading this and thinking to myself, I can right now, I can hear Nehemiah exhale. Right? In front of the king, he says, why is your face so bad? <laughs> he says, I, I, I've got to be sad. The, the place where my father's buried where my ancestors served the Lord. It's in shambles and God's people are a mess. That's why I'm sad. And then he stops. And the king says, what are you asking? And Nehemiah breathes and says, what? He says nothing. What does he do? He prays before he talks. Does Nehemiah know what he wants to say? Oh yeah, he knows what he wants to say. He's been rehearsing this in his mind for months. He knows exactly what the ask is. But even before moving in this moment, Nehemiah prays. King says, what do you want, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah prays. This is one of the things the Lord has for us throughout all of this time that we're going to spend in Nehemiah or any other place in Scripture that you go. Is the people of God consistently, prayerfully come before the Lord. 
before they do anything. Before they do anything, they pray. Prayer preceded the request. Just as prayer preceded any action in chapter one, before Nehemiah started fasting and asking the Lord to do something, he prayed first. When he heard about Israel, when he heard about Jerusalem, he prayed. So before he did anything, he prayed. Now he's before the king, and he's, he's on the edge right here. But before he answers the, king quest, the king's question, he prays. And prayer can take on a lot of different forms. I am confident enough to say Nehemiah didn't start praying out loud in front of the king. I'm pretty sure that's not what happened here. Okay, now I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. And they didn't write it down. But Nehemiah responds pretty quickly to the king. There's not this huge, awkward pause. He doesn't say, hold on a second, king. I'm going to pray. Mind joining me? No. This is the life of a man who is consistently praying. Continually in prayer. Because prayer can take on lots of different forms in our lives, right? You can pray verbally out loud by yourself. You can pray corporately in a, group, in a group of believers. You can pray over someone who's hurting, maybe when they know the Lord or maybe they don't. You can pray in lots of different ways and you can also pray silently and quickly. And I'm pretty confident Nehemiah's prayer was probably, God help me. And then he answers, God help me right now. And he opened his mouth and he might have said also, I'm going to open my mouth, Lord, you talk. Because saying the wrong thing in this moment is life-threatening. So Nehemiah stops. He prays. This is something that we see throughout Scripture. And later, the Apostle Paul encourages us by saying this phrase, that he is never ceasing in prayer. That we should be praying without ceasing. And that doesn't mean that we spend 24 hours a day on our knees talking out loud to the Lord. It means that is part of your prayer life. You need to have those moments. And you also need to be talking with God all the time. Prayer isn't a block in your schedule. Prayer is throughout your schedule. And if we start to live lives of prayer, like we see in Scripture, we'll start to pray all the time, in all those moments, like Nehemiah here. And he says, King says, why are you sad? He answers him. King says, what are you asking? Oh, boy. All right, God. Answer this question for me. And today, as we're looking at God's word, we're going to stop there at the end of verse 4. And we're not going to go forward till next week, because here's why. Because I do believe that there's a lesson in those words. Then I prayed. Then I prayed. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers and wonderful evangelist and pastor and preacher, has a quote about prayer I want to read for you. It says, Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Read that again. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. 
He goes on, just as the leaf and the fruit will come out of the vine branch without any conscious effort on the part of the branch, but simply because of its living union with the stem. So prayer does bud and blossom and fruit out of the souls abiding in Jesus. You want to know how to grow your prayer life? Just spend time with God. You want to know how to get over that that part where you're like, I'm pretty sure I don't pray enough. I'm not sure how to go forward and do that next. Do what Nehemiah did. He stopped. Remember? It says he sat down. He literally stopped in his tracks and prayed and fasted and spent a long period of time with the Lord. As Spurgeon says, prayer comes out of communion with Jesus. The more you spend time with the Lord in his word, listening to him, the more you'll know how to talk with him regularly. D.L. Moody, great pastor and evangelist, also has this quote. He says, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. We see this in the life of Israel, in all of the land of God's people right here. Where does this huge change happen that's going to come here with Nehemiah and God's people in Jerusalem and the glory of the Lord being shown to the communities around him and the nations around him? Where does it all start? It starts with Nehemiah praying. Every great movement can be tracked back to a kneeling figure. You want to see the Lord do wonderful things in your life? Stop working so hard and start praying more. When we try to craft and manipulate things around us, it has all of our fingerprints on it. When we take our hands off and trust the Lord and wait patiently on him, always being prepared, always being ready to respond in the opportunity when he arises it for you, but when we allow him to guide the timeline and the actions, then it looks like God. It doesn't look like us. And that's what we see Nehemiah doing here. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. My prayer, and, and I hope our prayer together as God's people, is that we would see a great movement of God. In our day, now, going forward, that we would see God move in ways that we, could, we can't even write down on paper ahead of time and prepare for us to understand, but we would be able to look back and see how God has crafted and moved amongst his people and done miraculous things around us. We've got 175 years of God's history that we get to look back on. That's amazing. But going forward, you got to know this. The reason this church exists 175 years later is because we've had a lot of people praying. A lot of people praying before us, before we were ever here. And hopefully our grandkids and their grandkids look back and say, there's always been a lot of people praying. And God has continued to do great and mighty things because God's people know how to pray and wait on his timing. So as we close, I want to pray this, that we would take this, even this short little section, these four verses, and we would allow God to implant them in our hearts in a way that changes what we do. Right now, this afternoon, 
tonight before we go to bed, tomorrow morning, and every day going forward. That it would change us. Encountering how God works and encountering the living, breathing word of God that moves and acts today and the Holy Spirit that wants to work through all that he's teaching us means we need to change. We need to be willing to take what God's given us and allow our lives to look different. So I'm not sure how God's asking your life to look different this afternoon or tomorrow morning. But you're, you know, and you know what he's telling you. And if you don't, come talk to one of our pastoral staff or somebody that you trust that's spent time with you and have them listen to the Lord with you and help you move. Because listening to a sermon on Sunday morning isn't going to fix it, folks. As much as I might like to think so. It's not. Us taking what God's showing us and changing our lives in light of it is how God's going to work. And every great movement can get tracked back to people on their knees. So let's be people of prayer. Let's come before the Lord before we move on in our time together.